Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Mick Clifford Podcast, The Irish Examiner. Now, last month outside the Dáil, a couple of TDs and some reporters were accosted, I suppose some might say actually assaulted, or harassed at least by a group who were identified as far-right activists. While this comforting, and more than that even for those caught up in it, it was still relatively rare that such a group would make themselves known in this manner publicly. However, online, where the real action apparently is these days, the far right is, according to the volume of traffic anyway, growing. So what exactly is going on? Is there a cultural shift happening in response to our changing world? Are these activists, as they call themselves, a threat physically to the people they target, such as immigrants, or even politically, as has been happening through election successes from far right entities across Europe this year alone? Joining me to discuss these matters is Mark Malone, who's been monitoring the activities of the far right in this country for a long time and is now working with the far right observatory. And we'll just ask him about that in a minute. Mark, you're very welcome. Thanks, Mick. Mark, first off, I suppose, tell me about the far right observatory and what exactly you do. Yeah, so the the far right observatory is a national civil society organisation. We kind of work with community groups, advocacy groups, trade unions, activists and academics to stop really hate organising in our communities. Um, part of that work, I guess, is to, to try to ensure that communities kind of stay grounded, caring, resilient in the face of kind of far-right interventions within community spaces. Um, and really we come from a space where we believe that like knowledge and solidarity is where real community power you know, is based um, in order to, 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 to rebuff attempts to, from very small portions, I guess, within our society to sow division and hate. We came together in late 2018, early 2019, really in a response to what we had seen over the previous couple of years of of far-right activity, some of it online, but also some of it offline. Um, And I'm happy to talk through, I guess, some of that evolution in a little bit. But we came together particularly around what we saw uh, around violent rhetoric around direct provision centres. And over over that time and since we've came about, I guess, Areas of work that we would do is like, so we we work to try to make sure communities are kind of, they have what they need to stop bigots and those kind of working in the spaces, right? So stopping bigots and bullies kind of sowing division and hate. And examples of, of how we've done that, for example, would be like we've supported schools. We have had like a anti-vax hate groups who are espousing the idea that like Jewish people were the, are the source of, of COVID, for example. Um targeting kind of schools around kind of vaccine, anti-masks, and also fusing that with like very extreme um, interpretations of, and, and, and arguments around sex education in school. Um, we've also worked with kind of local media groups, a, you know, in, in terms of like how they informing, you know, media, media workers, I guess, around debating of kind of local media, debating of local politicians, for example, you know, and as part of that as well, we would generate kind of information and analysis. So it's like we run education workshops, we run online events. Uh, we were recently up in Belfast hosting a conference with Social Change Ireland, Trademark Belfast and Hope Not Hate, 
with that had a great swathe across sections across the community in the north, I guess as well, where people are kind of quite concerned about that. And there's a couple of two two other bits of chunks. One, another bit is, I guess, really supporting civil society to take action themselves. So, you know, over the course of the past couple of years in the work, what we've managed to do with our partners across the country and just from ordinary people in, in communities themselves have actively defunded about 80,000 euros that would have went to hate groups, hate individuals and would have funded um, hate organizing activity in our communities. And then a final chunk of the work, I guess, really is around kind of holding decision makers and corporations to account for the social harms that their business models and their products are kind of having within our communities. So those are the, the broad kind of strokes, I guess, of the areas of the work. Interesting. Yeah. Now, two aspects that jump out immediately, Mark, when you say in terms of communities, are we talking about, well, we'll just deal with offline first of all, are we talking about scenarios whereby far-right activists are trying to inveigle themselves into communities to get people to, for example, uh, spreading lies, and it's always lies about immigrants and that sort of thing. The other thing, you mentioned defunding. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so the first bit, I guess, as well. I mean, one thing to say is like, um, for ourselves, right, men of our age, perhaps people of our age, right, we kind of do talk about this, a very clear distinction between the online and the offline. But actually, for for a significant chunk of the population who have grown up with like the yeah, technology yeah. around us, that distinction isn't really there. And actually, that's that's also very important to keep in mind when we think through kind of far right activity, because the online and the offline really doesn't really matter. They're about different kinds of tools, spaces, and, and organizing places. So useful to keep in mind. Um, but you're really right, I guess, in terms of the online activity. So. If it's useful to the audience, perhaps I could give a bit of a quick sketch through what we've yeah. seen evolving over, say, from 2016 up to the point of the pandemic. And yeah. then actually the pandemic and the online is an interesting kind of conversation piece, perhaps itself as well. From my experience, looking at some of the far right organizing, the first iterations of it were very small and very local. So we saw a group called Anti-Islam Ireland set up in 2015 that was based in Kilkenny. And they emulated the tactics of a... Stephen Lennon, who, who's prominently known as Tommy Robinson in the UK, which is going into mosques and intimidating the imam, filming the, uh, filming the interactions and then posting the stuff up online. And again, speaking very clearly to that, you know, real world online kind of intersection, mm. things are totally, totally related. But it was very localised. But it was quite new and novel, I guess, and so it stuck out. And that was one of the first signs that we noticed that actually people were very publicly now uh, promoting kind of Islamophobia, which we wouldn't have, wouldn't have traditionally seen. Then over the course of 2015, we saw the launch of an organisation called Identity Ireland, uh, who invited Tommy Robinson over to speak at their events and probably was, Tommy was probably given advice about how to kind of organise some of the, the things they were doing. Later, 2016, we saw the launch of, or the attempted launch of Pegida Ireland, again, which is like a, an Irish branch of an international Islam, you know, Islamophobic kind of network that started in Germany. That launch wasn't very successful. There was a kind of counter demo call. There's about 3,000 people turned out. Um, Sorry, 3,000 people marked to the counter demo? To the counter demonstration, right, yeah. yeah. So there was yeah. an attempt to launch at the GPO and there was a call out from anti-racist groups and anti-fascists and just ge people generally who were affected and targeted by this, including kind of um, Muslim organisations. And we created a space there that was like friendly, welcoming, open and just said like, you're not going to hold your demonstration here. Then 2016, we saw the launch of the National Party, which is the closest thing in Ireland we would have to an explicitly fascist organisation. Um, 
Later in 2018, we saw the launch of the Irish Freedom Party, which is something closer to an AstroTurf organisation, doesn't seem to have a big pile of membership, but had a reasonably large media profile and a fairly significant individual at the head. Um, and also in that time, we saw the launch of Generation Identity Ireland and UK, which was an interesting phenomenon because the first time we'd seen people who identified as white Irish nationalists working with people who identified as white British nationalists, you would not have seen the, that kind of crossover and, and shared kind of space previously before in Ireland. So that kind of was a kind of landscape up until the period of COVID. So most of these groups, they kind of existed, you know, they would, they would have physical meetings, um, pretty low kind of engagement and traction, never any kind of electoral success. And then I guess when COVID happened, what we saw was a press pause in everyone's life. We had a, a, a period of very genuine kind of anxiety across the population for a period of like possibly anything up to about two months while we tried to make sense of what was going on uh, while we weren't really sure about the impact of the, of the pandemic itself. And there was a kind of captive audience and people moved online and, and people were trying to make sense of what, the, what was going on in the world, you know. And what we saw was that a lot of the far right kind of influencers that had been around, and influencers are perhaps a useful term to think about people who aren't associated or tied to political organizations or parties as such, but they're people who promote content online regularly. They do live streams. They're always looking for donations. Money's a key aspect of some of this work, I guess, as well. And they were providing very simplistic conspiracy kind of stories, I guess, around this stuff. Not unlike what you would see Alex Jones, who's had a reasonable prominence in the news there the last 48 hours or so. Um, and some of the far-right influencers in Ireland actually have said out loud that they were informed and shaped and encouraged by what Alex Jones did. Alex Jones, of course, is this shock jock in the USA. Re and just the other day, a uh, court found in the civil action that a damage of close to €1 billion Euro for the conspiracy theories he put out about the Sandy Hook massacre and the impact that it had on all their families. That's who we're referring to with Alex yes, Jones. Yes, yes. Yeah. And actually, it's quite illustrative, I guess, like in terms of what what those cases were about. They were about the very real damage and harm that conspiracies uh, cause people. So, you know, obviously we don't have anyone on the same scale as Alex Jones in Ireland. Um, but the idea that people are continually pumping out hate, misinformation and conspiracy um, is deeply traumatizing to those affected and also harmful to wider kind of communities per se. So it's kind of, you know, useful to kind of keep in mind. Mm. And as I say, some of the characters in Ireland have specifically said, you know, they're they're trying to copy what Alex Jones does. Um, and so to bring it back, I guess, we're through this period of COVID. Some of the main some of the main platforms started to take action on on hate groups and hate organizers on their platforms, such as Facebook, uh, such as YouTube. Now, there's still still problems with those platforms. But what we saw was a lot of the foreign influencers moved to spaces like uh, Telegram, particularly. And Telegram is a platform, just to, for your audience, Telegram mm. is a platform like uh, WhatsApp, essentially, where you can have group chats, you can share video, you can share uh, messages, you can do live chats. Um, and it's completely unmoderated. So there's no moderation whatsoever, um, unless you're talking about the most extreme kind of content in terms of like child sex abuse, something like that. Telegram has been forced to take action on that, even though some of that stuff is still on, the, on, the, on their platform. And what we saw in those spaces were people who were perhaps vaccine hesitant or people who were 
flat earthers or people who were curious about what was going on in the world or, you know, had some fears. All these kind of concerns were being pushed into particular uh, channels that also were being drip fed initially at the start and now just persistently drip fed with homophobia, with transphobia, with anti-Semitism, white supremacism, ethno-nationalism of both British and Irish framings. And so at our, our last estimation, there's probably about 30 channels where the average group size is around 2,000. Um, some of the size of these groups go up to over 10,000. Uh, some of them are smaller. Some of them are like the more extreme ones are groups of maybe somewhere between 50 and 100. When you say up to 10,000, yeah. when you say a group, are you talking about like, for instance, one of these telegram groups that there's online chat, chat or whatever we want to call it, and that with some level of frequency, you would have that number of people contributing or, or observing it or, or being part of it. Well, they've, they've joined, right? So in terms of the numbers that are actively participation, that would take a bit of a bit of a digging in, right? Yeah. But, but there are, like, there's, there's groups where the turnover is really, really high. You may have a minority of people that are the, the high-frequency contributors, um, but... The fact that you have, and I mean, I would say in those groups, right, where there's like 2,000, there's probably a lot of overlap in terms of individuals who are in multiple groups, I guess, right? Um, it's not, Telegram promotes itself as being very private and secure, but actually most of this stuff is kind of quite open. Um, and the concern is there that I guess you have a, a small section of society that are that are being drip fed, I guess, hate and promotion of hate, right? that was built on the insecurities and fears around kind of COVID, but actually now is much more about a creating a very dark kind of worldview for, for some, for some of the people that are you know, people in those spaces, you know, now it's worth saying it's a really like, that's, you know, and not a massive number in terms of total population in Ireland. Right. What is of concern is the amount of deeply violent rhetoric there. So the increased conversations around political violence, um, the increased organizing around, let's go to this demonstration and let's do X, Y, Z. So, for example, in your introduction, you talked about a particular incident. We were able to kind of see that that was going to happen, uh, that something like that was quite plausible, not the specific instance where the particular politician was attacked. But we were able to kind of inform some of the campaign groups that were there earlier in the day that it's quite likely that some of these people are going to turn up and cause you try to cause hassle, you know. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As you say, Mark, as a result of your work, you were able to effectively predict that and, and, and as you say, forewarn people. What about the guards? Surely this, as it stands is a law and order issue. Are the guards equipped to do this? And is there an awareness there? Is there an interest there? in be, No more than yourself becoming forewarned and therefore being in place ready to, to ensure nothing happens. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question, Mike, right? Um, 
like one of the things I think would have to, to, to foreground this with, right, is, is that I think that in our conversations with the groups that we work with, with parts of our communities that are affected by hate organizers, it's actually very many of these parts of our communities that have challenging relationships with the police previously. Right. right. So there's, you know, sometimes there's not great relationships of trust yeah, yeah. Uh, and stuff like that. So I think in terms of some of the work around kind of policing, some of those things could be addressed. Right. Um, in terms of the operational matters about what kind of oversight police kind of have in this stuff, I, w- I we wouldn't really be aware of, of what that is per se itself. Um, it, it is of concern, I guess, where you have, and we do know of because some of these far right influencers talk about it themselves, where they have had knocks on the doors from police because they're actually putting out videos that are showing animations of politicians getting shot in the head and saying that it's it's funny, you know. And the concern, like everywhere else, is even though it may be a small, you know, a, a small kind of risk, is that the incitement that happens within groups triggers somebody else to do something stupid and awful. And I think that's a concern that many of the groups and organizations that we would work with have to consider. You know, they can't they can't say that it's it, that it's minimal. But at the same time, I think it's really important to go back to like the vast majority of people in our communities have no interest in this stuff at all. You know, there's no interest in, in bullies or bigots. No, that, that absolutely is fascinating. And in that vein, um, I was at the other night and you were there yourself, Mark, uh, Matthew Collins, a man from England who was, uh, he's a very interesting story that is currently actually being dramatised in ITV in uh, the series um, The Walk-In, starring well-known British actor Stephen Graham. Um, very interesting character. Very briefly, a very young age, became involved with the far right in London. Uh, he turned, so to speak, and he became, he effectively was able to infiltrate them. He did an awful lot of good work. In one instance, he quite possibly saved an MP's life. And, and he's done a lot of work in that regard. He's written a book now. He was in Dublin on Tuesday night. One of the things he said, Mark, and he was talking about that. And I noticed that he said, first of all, that as far as he's concerned, Politically in the UK, the far right are no longer that interested in making political inroads that it would seem they largely directed towards violence against people. And in that vein, he no- he mentioned a number of people who have been prosecuted, some of them serving jail sentences up to eight years. Um, is what you're talking about a fear that we could get to a point in this country where you have stuff that serious going on? I mean, I think it's always something to bear in mind. Um, there's a very, very specific kind of set of circumstances or set of kind of politics, I guess, with the, with the specific types of groups that uh, Matthew Collins was kind of talking about. Um, better perhaps understood as like at the at, at even, I think he was kind of almost describing it as more extreme than fascism. And that, that's quite hard for people to kind of understand. But I think what he was, what he was saying is a type of nihilism that actually does not have any political vision or ambition beyond the beyond the expression think, yeah, of, of, of yeah, terror think, itself, yeah. you know, um, and so that's that's always a concern. Um, we've, but in terms of that, you know, I think that's to focus solely on that is to see a, yeah, a very, yeah, a very yeah. particular. So, in terms of, for example, the likes of violence and that, what yeah. would be the major concerns in terms of their capabilities and what they might do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's violence that happens all the time. You know, I think like when we look at the, you know, if you take, for example, right, if you take, a, imagine you're living your life in Ukraine, Russian soldiers are coming through the town, villages, kicking the doors in 
and you find yourself fleeing the country with your kids, you're in a hotel in Ireland, trying to trying to make do as much as you can. And then a bunch of bigots come down and they're filming you and they're shouting that, you know, telling you that telling their audience that the war is fake, that these people are fake refugees. Like that's an experience of violence. Mm. That's a re-traumatizing experience. Or likewise, if you're, you know, a school principal or a parent, like bringing your kids to school and there's a bunch of people out there shouting at you saying that like sex education is about, you know, abusing your children. Uh, you're almost like pedophiles. The teachers are pedophiles. That's experienced as a type of violence, you know, or oh, yeah. if you're if you're living in a in a housing estate and there's leaflets pushed through your door to say that you know a queer and gay people you know are are pretty much awful. You just have experiences of like homophobia being pumped out. These parts of our communities experience this. So this this is you know I think it's it's important to think to give voice to I guess and to understand that actually there's a lot of violence that's happening already, but it's just not necessarily. Uh, the way that we might normally think of what violence is in some senses, right? And we're, we're like, and I think, you know, we've we've previously had a bit of a back and forth, I guess, in terms of like the, thinking through the extent of what, the, and the differences in Ireland and elsewhere, right? And just because the far right don't have electoral successes here doesn't mean that they don't cause trauma and hurt. And as you say, and as Matthew Collins spoke about, sometimes they're not even that interested in elections. And one of the other things that he did say is like that the far right themselves can pull political organizations to the right. So talked about, for example, if you look at the yeah. experience of the Conservative Party in the UK, at present their policies towards people living in Britain and, and deporting them to Uganda, a country they have no experiences with or whatever, is something that the National Front were talking about in the 80s, you know. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a way by which the activity itself and the organizing itself can have a, can have a, a pull. Um, and that, again, keep going back to the idea that, like, the vast majority of people have no interest in this stuff in our, in our communities, you know? No, that is a fair point. But it brings me back again, though, to the, to the issue of there's the political and there is the criminal, effectively. I mean, harassment in one form or another. Yeah. I was going to talk a minute about uh, hate legislation or hate crime legislation. But if, we're, if it's not political, it certainly doesn't appear to be that way so far. And I think everybody needs to be very careful in terms of what they say and what have you, both at national, local and what have you. But beyond that, it's a law and order issue. And are we back there too? the Gardaí and whether or not they're equipped, whether or not the will is there and whether or not it's a very difficult thing to prosecute even if they were so minded in terms of the type of activity you're talking about there. I guess, and I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be honest, I wouldn't know that I'm 100% equipped to kind of answer that in the totality of the way that you're asking it. But I I, I do think, for example, we have seen instances of, of violence demonstrations from far-right activists. There's someone currently sitting in prison for an attack on a... On a on a, a counter demonstrator, um, looking at that experience, I mean, as, as someone who, and, and as many people kind of watched that unfold, like, you know, it was fairly clear there's a lot of people kind of involved in that. Um, there was a fear that, like, you know, there's a wonder about, like, well, how did they get to that extent? But also to the degree of, like, what's the level of organization that's happening within some of these spaces that are deliberately setting out to kind of go, if this, you know, we're going to go hit people when we're out on our demonstrations, you know? Um, but that probably doesn't really address the, the, the specifics, I guess, of the question itself, you know. No, no, it's, it's, it's yeah, and, I, and look, there's no doubt the nature of the activity would be difficult anyway. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't know myself, so I would be curious to know in, in terms of the Gardaí and 
as, as you said, to be fair, as you said, there is an issue with the Gardaí in certain sections of society and attitudes and experience and what have you. And those often tend to be the exact places that are targeted by these people. We have proposed, I think it's due up for debate soon, about hate crime legislation, Mark. Yeah. Will that make any difference in your opinion? I mean, so as the Foreign Observatory, we wouldn't have a, a specific perspective, I guess, on the proposed legislation and the, and the sort of the finer details, right? Because many of the organisations and communities that we work with would have different kind of perspectives on that. Um, so it wouldn't, you know, and we kind of hold those perspectives, I guess, as 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 groups have them. So we, you know, we wouldn't have a particular perspective on it ourselves. It's not a particular piece of legislation that we've been working on or been driving. Um I think more generally, and like if we look at, not to pull it out too far, but if we look at the, the intersection between kind of law, politics and society, like what we're seeing when we look at Hungary, when we look at Poland, when we look at Italy, to a large degree, whenever the far right reach kind of electoral success, and they are in, in, in significant numbers of countries in, in the EU, in Brazil, in the US, the question of policing becomes a very different thing. And the questions of the law becomes a very different thing because what tends to happen is that a some of those forces end up being de facto extensions of the far of the far right groupings itself. So I think whilst it's useful and important to think about specific legislative frameworks which can minimize the harms and hurts of far right organizing, I don't know that policing itself as a whole can can solve a remedy a some of the stuff now we're not in that situation in Ireland right so let's be very clear those electoral those electoral situations aren't the same our electoral processes of a PR kind of makes it quite difficult I guess for those organizations to kind of emerge in a more structured way as much as they're trying to themselves yeah thing that strikes me about it is that if you have it there the odd uh, comment, the odd, personally, I'd categorise the headbanger comment from some politicians, possibly more at local than national level, and we just have the odd one. Um, if you if you have the right legislation there, you're going to ensure that kind of thing won't be tolerated. Possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, I think what would be a, a more robust and stronger kind of footing would actually be the community not accepting it. You know, the community where yeah. a local politician is and saying, well, you're not getting the vote. And actually, if there are people that are politicians that feel that they want to exploit and try to to build on and gain from that stuff, people make sure you chase them from the door. You know, that they're not going to get your vote. That's true. But the unfortunate thing is that you get the impression that, and again, it's a very small minority who have done it. They've done it on the basis they believe if they do it, they might get a greater vote. But that's, that's the nature of those things, I suppose. Now, the other thing, Mark, exactly, when we talk about the far right again, and the observatory was involved, I think, in this global project against hate and extremism. You had a report out. And I wrote a piece at the time, which was not well received in a lot of quarters, because included in that report, there was, for example, the Iona Institute. Now, the Iona Institute, again, for people who don't know, I would categorise it as a conservative Catholic organisation. There, I'd suggest, might be fair to say, harking back to a type of Catholicism that's long behind. I don't know whether people involved in it would disagree with that. But it would strike me if you start categorising people like that as far right and people and th- th- their various views about the whole gender identity situation. If you start categorising people like that as far right, I think you get into a murky situation then. Yeah, well, just to give the audience some context on the, on the report. So our colleagues at the Global Project of, uh, Against Hate and Extremism, 
kind of produced the report, did all the primary research of the report, and we had oversight of it before it went out. We looked at it on the basis of the terms of reference that they had set out. We didn't find anything that was contradictory. Um, there's, I, I'm, I'm loath really, right, given, and this is another kind of conversation, I guess, as well. I'm loath to get into particular or naming particular organizations, right, because what we actually have experienced is, and what we are seeing increasingly is the use of slaps, which is like strategic lawsuits against public participation. Tell me about it. Which is essentially yeah. a way of like trying to shut people up talking about particular things. Um, we can park that and come back to that another day, perhaps. But just in the general point, I mean, there's nothing new or extraordinary about describing a some types of kind of like Catholic fundamentalist views about the world as extreme. And so if you take, for example, a book that was published in 1997 by Emily O'Reilly, who's currently the press ombudsman. She's the ombudsman, the European yeah. ombudsman. European yeah, yeah. ombudsman, yeah. So on the, on the back sleeve of the book, right, I'm just going to read this out, right? This is like, Masterminds of the Right exposes the leadership and the tactics of the extreme right-wing activists who have hijacked Ireland's social agenda for almost two decades, creating unprecedented political turmoil. Now, that's probably the type of thing you could get a legal letter for now, but actually seem perfectly legitimate as a description, you know? And well, the only thing I'd say now to Mark is, yeah. th- again, you're talking about context and, 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 and time. 1997, what would be regarded as far right then and now I'd suggest you would be very different and whom Emily O'Reilly was referring to were not people who'd be categorised similar to, say, for instance, the type of people we've been talking about, anti-immigrant and all, all that kind for, of thing. For sure. Right. And, and and I think there's, you know, there's a usefulness in making distinctions between those who are kind of like explicitly white supremacists and fascists. Right. But if if you're part of our community and you're experiencing views and ideas that seek to limit your human rights, your, your you know, a your experience as a human being, that's experienced as, as hate. Right. And it's it, similarly alongside we're increasingly seeing the weaponization by far right movements of of kind of reproductive health care, trans people's rights to exist as human beings, to be themselves as part and partial of far-right organizing. And so one of the things I guess we would be keen to encourage people to think about is sometimes it's not just about putting a label on an organization and saying it's right or left, right? I would really encourage people to go back and read that report that was published by the Global Project Against Hate and, and Extremism. And in particular, read the, the report that there was referenced the European Party, the European Parliamentary Forum for Sexual and Reproductive Rights, which speaks about over 700 million euros being pumped into anti-gender and anti-reproductive health religious movements over the past 10 years within the EU. A significant chunk of that coming from far-right Russian Orthodox groups and a significant chunk of it coming from American far-right Christian fundamentalist groups. And that's, I'm not naming any particular organisations, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you said that... Oh, all, yeah, no, and you, I accept, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're yeah, that, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, and I understand where you're coming from, but what I, what I would suggest to you is that another way of looking that is, at that is that, for example, let's say... Uh, I am a, a let's for for argument's sake say I am a Catholic who um, as a result of church teachings and Christ you could go into another uh, discussion <laughs> as a result of church teachings I don't believe for example that gay people should be married or whatever 
In my, to, to, from what I'm seeing, from what you're suggesting, Marcus, people like that on, on one level and take another level. There are, there are some people would see issues around gender identity. People, and I've heard people talking about they've no problem whatsoever with trans people, but they have issues with various aspects. There's a number of things going to discuss, sports, um, autism, etc., all of that. If people express reservations or issues around that, and I, I get this impression out there that they are being categorised on some forums, and I'd suggest possibly including the the, the report we're referencing as being far right. Now, yeah, I, is that? Do you know what I'm saying? I, is, I, I, I is, understand is what you're reasonable? saying, and I I think we reject it, right? Right. Um, and I, I I I'll maybe give you some sense of like where I think it's important to think about. There is yeah. not one far right organisation in Ireland, right? One one explicitly far like. You know, the, some of the things, some of the groups that we've named already, the National Party, the Irish Freedom Party, the sort of networks around that were involved in promoting kind of anti-direct provision. And actually to a person, every single far-right influencer over the last two years has now pronounced themselves as trad Catholic. So I would then ask yourself of the audience, so who's... At, at, where where do you draw a line and say, well, actually, I'm informed by God in this bit, and that and that's good and useful, even though it imposes hurts and harms within parts of our communities? Are these other, they just happen to be slightly more extreme Catholics, who also want to impose hurts and harms in our communities? And so this is where I think it's like less about the labelling of far right and actually looking about the things because if you're making the point of principle that it's okay, like everybody can believe what they want, right? It's an entirely different thing to try to seek to impose your worldviews in ways that diminish the, the yes. life and, 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 and experiences of other human beings that are part of our community, right? All of us. And I think that's fundamental to where we come from. It's like the work in supporting communities affected by hate and bigotry requires us to be able to say, look, you may believe that that may come from a position of faith, but it doesn't justify it. You know, and if it's, 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 it's also, we've had several votes now and we've had several, you know, way, vain weathers of like, what, what do people want? What type of society do people want? You know, and so, but also to bookend that with, right? I'm going to say, go back and read that report, right? Because, yeah, yeah. Because uh, if, it, it, the, glo the global project against hate. Well, no, well, not, yeah, but on. also specifically the, oh, sorry, Euro the, report the, the European, right. Because yeah. can I, I say this, right? It's like, if there, if there are groups like, Individuals like Steve Bannon, one of the world's most prominent white supremacists, mm. getting money from this kind of stuff. If there's groups like Vox in Spain, who this week recently re-celebrated kind of Franco's dictatorship and quasi-fascism there, are getting money out of this stuff. But it, it, I think it's entirely legitimate to ask, well, why, why, why are certain groups working in this space? If that's the type of networks that are happening there. You know, so, so I think it's incumbent upon us all and I would love to be able to talk about this in a more open way and not be worried about getting a lawsuit slapped uh, on, right? So would I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Maybe getting a lawsuit, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, no, I, I, I take what you're saying. I, I would think it's a matter of interpretation in terms of, of that, in terms of... I still would have an issue with uh, categorising the same people. Like you can have people, I'll give you another, look at the other end of the spectrum. You would have people on what might be described as far left platforms, sharing platforms with other people, and they wouldn't want to be associated with some of their activities at all. So it, it, do you know what I mean? It, from that point of view, I'd, I get that. I'd, uh, yeah, Money's a different thing though. Sharing a platform and getting money is a different thing. Yeah, I agree. And, and, 
if, but, but, if, but I if hear that becomes very plain. But, but I, I, I see what you're saying. But I, I would still suggest that um, the type of some of the organisations that were named in that report, none of which I'd have any truck myself, to be honest with you, whatsoever. But I, I do think we can get into a scenario whereby uh, anything that is said that does not appear to conflate with a, a dominant agenda or a dominant um, thinking in society, it can be shoved off to the side uh, and categorised in a convenient yeah. way. You know? but I, I don't, I, yeah, but I think we're fundamentally going to disagree because I don't think that's what's happening right, there. Right. You know? No, no, fair <laughs> enough. Moving it on, finally, Mark, tell me this. So what do you say from your point of view in terms of you talk about communities, talk about the media, the politics, what do you do to ensure... What can people in general do to ensure that the kind of agenda, the hate agenda, as you call it, does not have the capacity to spread? The greatest inoculators is communities themselves. You know, so the great, the greatest strength that we have is kind of where we, we hold those values of like love, care, resilience that are very much part of like how we live our lives normally. Right. We live in challenging times. We live in a time where, you know, there's very real reasons why there are not enough nurses, there are not enough houses is not enough, whatever, right? We live in a time where like this year, I think was the, you know, there's been an announcement that the, the highest tax take ever from corporations was simultaneously our, our wages, even though you might get a minuscule increase, isn't buying, isn't giving us the access to food, rent, housing, health that it would have previously, right? So there would be a concern that, and what the modus operandi of the right generally have been is to exploit some of those experiences that are felt by all parts of our communities let's be clear like so the uh, you know very 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 often it's it's people that are targeted by hate groups and bigots are also the ones that are most uh, under pressure and feeling the, the pain of like economic inequality and injustice as well right so i think there's two things is one is kind of being able to fe- feeling a bit more confident about being able to to work against and to undermine some of the far right kind of organizing. And that's what we do in terms of working closely with affected communities and with community groups themselves. And, you know, we'll be kind of building out on that work over the next couple of years. Um, and I think then as well is like making sure that like when we go back to the sort of the, the politicians that want to kind of take a risk and try to, to pull in that sense and fly kites to see what's happening I mean, I think they kind of need to to be to ensure that that's not successful, you know. And I think it's incumbent upon us all to call that kind of behaviour out because we certainly see some sitting TDs and a couple of people in the other house occasionally having a go around that stuff. And let's be honest, I think the the, the fear of litigation around conversations with some of this stuff is cannot very often mean that people are being circumspect about what they're observing because you know, often what happens is you'll say, oh, you're just calling me far right as a slur rather than what could be a legitimate definition. Um, And so I think to go back, I think it's about communities being robust ourselves. It's kind of realizing, you know, and, and reaffirming who we are as kind of communities, that we look after each other. We're rooted in solidarity. We actually want a better world. And one of the, one of the very, like core bits of far-right politics, it in no way addresses the structural inequalities that we have. Far-right politics will not change the science of climate change, even though it denies it. You know, the, the, the very real substantive issues that face us as communities, as a society as a whole, and looking at the encroachment of kind of grimmer, darker politics in, in other places of the world, 
they won't be resolved by embracing hate and bigotry. They'll be, they'll be, you know, they'll be resolved by embracing solidarity and trying to build kind of our collective power to talk about the political imaginary to make our world a better place, you know. Very true, Mark. And as you say, it's a dangerous time in a lot of ways and therefore a time that certainly we all need to pull together and be more vigilant in that respect. Mark Malone, thank you very much for talking to us today. Mick, thanks very much. Pleasure. Uh, I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you folks for listening. We'll be back again next week. Take it handy. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.